this morning, uh, we're going to break from our normal pattern. Maybe that's not the way to commemorate a five-year anniversary, to actually do something different than what you've been doing every single week for five years. <laughs> but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to take a break from our study through the letter of James And we're going to reflect a little bit on what God has done for us in the last five years. And at the same time, look ahead to what we want to see Him do in us for the next five years and, Lord willing, the next 50 years. Now, I'm a sentimental guy by nature. I'm a historian by training. So I want to resist the urge to do a bunch of reminiscing this morning. You're going to get a little bit of it. It's going to be sprinkled through. I'm going to resist the urge to do it as often as I want to. But I can't help but start by thinking about what's changed. Looking out at this room full of you guys. Uh, five years ago, I think we had maybe four rows on a side, and I think they were about half the length of these rows. Maybe 35 or 40 of us in the room at that time. It's good to see so many of that 35 or 40, probably half of whom God has moved to other parts of the world. Now back here with us in this room this morning. Thank you for coming. That means so much to us that you would do that. And it's so good to see the faces of many of you who have come since then. Most of you. We prayed that day and so many days after that that God would bring people to us. We've done basically nothing but word of mouth to see that happen. And he's done it. We put our money on him being able to bring us who we needed. And he always has. One of the things that, no, that I noticed most this morning sitting up here compared to five years ago is how many more kids there are in here. I think five years ago, if, I'm, if memory serves, I want to say there were three kids that were old enough to be in the worship room. I think it was Asher and Laney Hunt and Kyle Reagan. I think that was the only three. Maybe there was one or two more. And now there's tons of you. Look at you guys. A lot of you guys out there, kids, y'all were just babies five years ago. And here you are. We're so glad that you're in here with us, worshiping with us. That's been so fun for us to watch you guys grow and, and, and join us in worshiping the God who made us and who came for us in Jesus. I remember, uh, I, I remember vividly that first Sunday, standing right here. I remember the image I used for what it felt like. I had to apologize then and apologize now that it's a grad school image because that's kind of what I knew then and still kind of in me. I, I felt like that Sunday, I felt the same feeling that I felt the first day I sat down at my desk to start working on my dissertation and had that white, bright Microsoft Word document with not one word on it and that cursor, whatever it is, just flashing at me, mocking me making me think about everything that hadn't been done yet. I remember feeling that way on the first Sunday of of our church, that this is just this big blank page and that little cursor just flashing at me. What's going to happen? By God's grace, five years later, the, the page isn't blank anymore. We have five years proving over and over again that God is faithful, that His words are true, that He really can change us when we trust Him And when we come together around His Word and not around anything else that might join us. He's proven that over and over again. But this five-year celebration we're having raises another question. I mean, so the draft is, is off to the races, so to speak. It's not a blank page anymore, but how's the draft coming? How's it look? I remember five years ago when we were first getting started, especially when we were trying to get money, grant funding 
from organizations that support new churches that we got this question over and over again. Five-year plan. It's all about the five-year plan. What are you going to be in five years? Who do you want to be? Dream big. My heart was in the right place. I mean, they, these, these organizations want to make sure that you're not wasting your time or theirs, that you're not chasing rabbits or slipping into apathy or you know, wasting the money that they give to support your work. But it's a dangerous question to ask. What do you want to be in five years? Because we're hardwired. We're hardwired to ask and answer that question as business people who love results, who love what we can see, and who even more love what we can control. We're hardwired to ask that question and then answer it with results that we can control. How would you know if you'd been successful after five years? Well, you could know it maybe by the number of people attending. That's one of the first things people typically ask when they ask you how things are going. How many of y'all running? That's the way they would ask it in South Alabama where I grew up. What's your running? It means how many people are attending each week. That's the running part. And God has, God has grown us steadily over five years. He's always brought us exactly who we needed right when we needed them. And it's always amazed us that he's done that. But you know what? We're not on anybody's fastest growing churches in America list. And it does seem like, doesn't it? It seems like we've had to say goodbye almost as much as we've said hello to the people that God has brought us and who's, who have grown us. Maybe you could look at the programs that, the, that a church offers. Like look at all these well-oiled machines that we have that run, and they're so good and well-organized. You start looking around at what we do here, and uh, pretty much the same things we were doing five years ago, not really expanded it all out that far. Church calendar's pretty light. We actually like it that way. Maybe you could look at, at buildings purchased or built. Why don't we look at buildings to see how we're doing? Well, five years ago we met in this exact same space on these exact same folding chairs. And for five years, week in, week out, you guys have been faithful to show up early and to stay late, loading and unloading the trailer, setting up and tearing down all these chairs. And has any, have any of you who are not on this team, have you guys ever watched the team that sets up the childcare rooms before and after we use them? It's like watching some sort of FBI crew planting a bug on a mobster's desk, making sure that every piece of paper, every pencil is put back in exactly the same spot that it was so they have no idea that anybody was in there. They've done this every single week. Still here in the same facilities. So I think it's a, a fair question to ask when you come to a, a moment like this. How are we doing? And how could we know? Are we going anywhere? The answer to that question, the answer to that totally depends on where we want to go. Where do we think God wants us to be? We should measure success based on what He has said He wants to do and on evidence that He's doing it. So for the few minutes we have this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to clarify again what it is we believe God is building here. What we've prayed he would build, what we believe he is building. And then, and then I want to focus on how I believe he's building it. Like, 
what we think you can point to, to see God at work, to know what his priorities are so that we can celebrate what he's done, but also a a roadmap for your prayer life going forward, what we want to see him doing more of. I'm going to focus two simple steps this morning. What God is building in us and how God is building it. What God is building. It's one supernatural purpose. The purpose for this church and for every local church on the face of the earth from now all the way back till Jesus set it up. Same purpose for every church. What God is doing, what He's building is a people who bring glory to Him by their life together. The local church is just a group of people who live together in a way that brings God glory. We want to be a community of believers who glorify God by our life together. And He gets glory from us when our way of life is only possible by His power among us. He gets glory when the way we live together is only possible if He's with us. In other words, we don't want any goals that we have the power to fulfill. Now, I know that might sound really obvious, what you might call a churchy answer, but, but it isn't obvious. It has huge implications for what we're doing together. We don't want, we want to avoid like the plague, like a disease, like a blight among us. We want to avoid any strategy for building our church that would work whether God is with us or not. One of the things I want to do this morning as we walk through these things that we've seen, what we want to see is pull from parts of God's word that we've studied together over the years. The first reminiscence here, about two years ago maybe, we spent some time in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. One of the things we noticed there is Paul starts out his letter writing to a church he just founded, hadn't been there that long. He's writing to, to this early church, talking to them about what he did to build that church, about how he wanted to get it started off the ground, Right? What he says to them is, I could have come using the strategies that gather people around lots of good speakers or charismatic personalities of that time. He talks about the rhetoric, that he had, he had the chops. He could have done that. Rhetoric was huge back then. He could have gathered a crowd around his ability to persuade. But he avoided that rhetoric that was in fashion back then. Not because he couldn't cut it, but this is a quote from chapter 2. He avoided it because, Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Did you get that? Everything he did at the beginning... Everything he did to build a community, he did specifically to prove the power of God. He wanted a demonstration of the power of God, not the wisdom of men. Then in chapter 3, one chapter later, he's writing to them to, to tell them they've got to stop competing with one another, bragging to one another about one or another Christian leader that they really like, somebody they're lined up behind, Apollos or Peter or whoever else. Because he says, it's not 
Apollos who plants or Paul who waters. The point is God who gives growth. He says, you are God's building. What Paul wanted for the Corinthians, what we want for our own church, is a community that is only explainable because God is building it. A demonstration of the Spirit and His power. Recently, I was reading a book on, on church, community in the church, that used a really powerful image for this idea. Uh, they, they talked about, they referred to this uh, famous episode in the prophet Ezekiel, where Ezekiel is given a vision of the glory of the Lord, the presence and the power of the Lord that gave his people their life, rising up out of the temple at the center of their life and moving on, leaving his people. This book asked the question, what if you imagine this vision for your church? What would be different about your church if the presence and the power of the Lord rose up out of you and moved on? What would be different? Would relationships fall apart? Would your services all of a sudden become really boring? Because you're basically just singing and praying and talking about the Bible? Would people stop volunteering? Would they feel disconnected and alone, apart from God's power and presence binding them? Or would the relationships pretty much work because they were going to work anyway? Our success as a church is always going to be measured by the clarity of God's power at work in us. The only thing we will ever do together, friends, that lasts beyond our death is bring glory to the God who made us and has promised to redeem us. And that glory shows up more clearly than anywhere else when it shows up in our relationships with each other. We spent a lot of time last year looking at the Gospel of John, where Jesus talks about what he's going to do for his friends. Greater love has no man than the one who lays down his life for his friends. And he tells them, people will know you're with me. They will know you're mine by the way you love one another. First John 4, John comes back to the same idea. No one has ever seen God, he says. The invisible God has remained invisible, but God is in you when you love one another. He shows up. He all of a sudden becomes visible when his power and his love become visible in us. So what I want to do here for the next few minutes, talk about what we want to build. We want a community that just won't make sense. It won't be able to keep functioning. It'll completely fall apart if God's power rises up and leaves us. What I want to do for the next few minutes is talk about what kind of relationships among us give glory to God. What is it about our life together that proves his power that wouldn't be possible apart from his work in us? Three simple marks of how God is building the building he's building. Did you like that? A lot of buildings. Three simple marks. I want to use these as a way to celebrate your, your investment in our church over these years. But also I want you to take those three marks. I want you to put it in your Bible. And I want you to pray for our church when you pray. 
for these marks to show up in our relationships with one another. Three marks. God is glorified when our relationships, first of all, seek God's work in us through His Word. In other words, God gets glory when our relationships with each other have a purpose that they wouldn't have apart from Him. If, if God, remember the image, if God were to lift up His power and His presence from us and disappear, we want relationships that wouldn't have a center anymore apart from Him. Because those relationships are aimed at the same thing His power and presence is aimed at in us. And that is to get all of us ready for Jesus. To purify for Himself a bride without spot or blemish or wrinkle. He's given us to each other for that end. And if He were to leave us, our relationships, we pray, would fall apart, would lack a center. The second year of our church... We spent a whole year in the book of Hebrews. Still to this day, maybe my favorite study we've done together. Loved it. One of the themes that kept coming up in Hebrews over and over again, some of you guys may remember this. Over and over, Hebrews talks about the importance of holding on in faith. Don't fall away. Don't give up. Saw that, that giving up as a real possibility when our sin is still powerful in us, when there's lots of threats outside of us trying to pull us down, when the evil one is still active in the world. And one of the things that Hebrews kept coming back to when it, would, when it would warn about falling away, one of the things that writer kept coming back to was the importance of the church as God's plan for keeping people from falling away. So in chapter 3 of Hebrews, the writer says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But here's your marching orders. Here's what your, your relationships are supposed to be about. Exhort one another. Every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's your center for your relationships. Comes back to it again in chapter 10. In chapter 10, he he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. We've got to be considering each other. Relationships where we're, we're thinking carefully about one another and what Each person in our sphere of relationships needs to go further towards Jesus. We're considering how to exasperate. That was one way to translate that word. To stir one another up, to get up in each other's lives. We're considering how to get messy with one another towards love and good deeds, towards what Jesus has modeled for us. It's on us to get each other all the way to glory. God uses us for that work that He does. And He gets glory when our relationships wouldn't have a center, wouldn't have a focus apart from Him and what He's called us to. That's what this has to do with glorifying God. It's what we promise in our church membership covenant when we say we're going to live together in Christian love, encouraging each other to forsake sin and pursue holiness. God is glorified when He's what we talk about, when His Word to us and the work it's doing in us is what we're using to help each other handle what's going on in our lives. On Sunday afternoon, I was hanging out with some friends. We were watching the first uh, Titans game last Sunday afternoon. And they kept running this same commercial over and over and over again of some buddies, like different, different set scenarios of usually two guys, not because women don't like football, okay, but just, this is the way they went with it. A couple of guys, usually all dressed in all their team's gear, having these really intense, vibrant conversations about whatever, 
in the game that they're watching. They're talking stats, they're talking players, they're talking games and how they finished up. Vibrant conversation about football. And then the, the, and then the voiceover says, imagine, what would friends talk about if it weren't for football? And they cut to these two guys sitting at a cafeteria, kind of a nameless, faceless, big box, like office building cafeteria, munching on their pitiful lunches, staring blankly into the distance. One guy speaks up and says, so I, uh, I, I decided to go with a different sunblock. <laughs> I moved up to an SPF 50. Other guy says, well, that's cool. Back to munching, blankly staring. Friends don't small talk. That's the, the tagline. Friends talk football. It's a great line. Insert in there whatever else, whatever floats your boat, you know, cooking or music, movies, decorating, whatever, hobbies. The point is that friendships thrive on shared interests, right? Well, that's the point. Friendships thrive on self-interest, on mutual interest, shared interest. But if the Lord's glory, presence, and power were to lift up from our church community and our relationship together and move on, Would our friendships pretty much thrive the way they are now? Would our conversations pretty much have the same content as they have now? Or would our shared connection fall apart? Would we have to kind of stare blankly and, you know, toe the ground awkwardly with hands in pockets wondering what to talk about? Now, I'm not saying we don't talk about the things that are happening in our lives. Absolutely not. It's it's crucial that we talk work and family and, and, and relationships with one another, that we, that we have one another thinking about and speaking into what's going on. But the point is God gets glory when we won't talk about those things the same way if he weren't with us. God gets glory when we and our relationships seek his work in us through his word. Intentional relationships focused on helping one another grow as disciples through the Bible. That's what glorifies Him. And those relationships, friends, those relationships only work by His power. Those are relationships that embrace His agenda for our lives. That come to our relationships focused less on what we want out of our relationships than what God wants out of our relationships. That's when He gets glory. That's the first thing. We've seen it by God's grace taking shape in the way we talk with one another. We want more of it. Here's the second thing. God gets glory in us when our relationships reflect God's love for us in Jesus. This week, I've been reminiscing, thinking back over old times, pulled out some notes from the Bible study that we had before we started meeting as a church on Sunday mornings. We had a Bible study over in Sevier Park. We're going to go party today after we get finished this morning here. And I pulled up some notes on a talk we did called Gospel and Community. What effect the good news of what Jesus has done has on how we build our relationships with one another. And we, we looked together that day at Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul talks about what God has done in Jesus on the cross. How he talks about it as a tearing down, a demolishing of this wall of hostility between people who aren't like one another. His examples were the great examples of all time, a very unique example of the difference between Jew and Gentile. That he and Jesus has 
collapse that wall that divided these people, divided by religion and ethnicity and language and history from one another. But, but then the rest of the New Testament unpacks that same work and scatters it to us where we sit right here today. That what Jesus has done on the cross breaks down walls that normally would divide us. As one author put it, he, makes, he builds a people not out of natural friends, but out of natural enemies. What God has done for us, his, the way that he's loved us, sets the pattern for our love for each other. And that means two things. It means our relationships should be broad and our relationships should be deep. If our relationships are modeled in his love for us, they go bigger than where, where they would go if we just chose to be around people we like to be around. Well, they will pursue other people who are not like us. They will bridge gaps that would normally divide. Because that's how God has loved us. And I've seen so many beautiful examples of this kind of breadth in relationship in our church. I mean, the way you guys have embraced and invested in small groups at our church, even though you don't even get to choose your group, even though the groups are intentionally age-diverse, place-in-life diverse, and some of you have been in groups where there's really no one else who fits your place, Still, you've come back again and again and invested yourself over commitments that last a year. Because you've come to these groups not as customers looking for the best product or the best fit for you, but as Christians looking for an opportunity to bond over Jesus, looking for an opportunity to connect with what He is doing in us. That doesn't work apart from His power. We've seen recent college grads using their time and their energy to dive into the messy chaos of families with young children to help bear that burden, even though it's a lifestyle that's far removed from the one you're living. I've seen overwhelmed, busy moms using the precious time that is an afternoon nap to invest in those younger than them, maybe 10 years removed from them in life, but pouring out their lives into them with that precious time that they've got because you love Jesus in each other. That's what draws you together. Ultimately, we said this last week in our study of James. When you're with Jesus, you lose the right to be picky about who you're going to love. What binds us together is not the fact that we all scratch each other's right itches. That we're just all just right for one another. What binds us together is that we're on task with each other and for each other. That we're with Jesus and Jesus is what we want in each other and for each other. And so we sign covenants. We make promises. We say to one another, we're going to love the ones that we're with. We're going to love the ones God has given. Because God has given. And because He has loved us when we're far away from Him. Our relationships glorify God when they reflect His broad love and cross boundaries that they wouldn't otherwise cross. You guys are doing that. Thank you. It's beautiful. And it glorifies Him. He's also glorified when our love for one another is deep, when our commitment to one another isn't convenient or casual, but involves cost and sacrifice. So many examples I could give of this where you've been true to the promise of our covenant in ways that don't make sense apart from God's power. You've promised to bear one another's burdens, and you've done that when an overwhelmed mom prepares food and delivers food to another 
overwhelmed mom. When, when people among us have lost their jobs, as has happened several times over five years, and unknown by most everyone, those of you without much disposable income yourselves have given money to those who needed it. We promise to rejoice and mourn together that our love will define our relationships with one another so that we identify with each other in the good and the bad. And we've seen it. We've seen it. As those who have longed for jobs have rejoiced with those who've gotten them. As those who've longed for new homes rejoice with friends who purchase one. As those who've longed for marriage have celebrated with genuine joy the marriage of their friends. As friends who were married have mourned with single friends whose relationships have ended. As those longing for children have rejoiced with those who were pregnant. And as those who have celebrated the new birth of their child have at the same time, on the same day, grieved with those who were mourning the loss of theirs. You've had watchfulness over each other, just like you promised you would. You've had hard conversations confronting sin when it would have been much easier and more convenient to let it go. And in some of the deepest acts of love that we've seen, you guys have come through on the promise to be slow to take offense and quick to seek reconciliation. There have been conflicts among us that looked impossible. And they have melted away by humility and confession and repentance and grace. And friends, you take Jesus out of the picture and these relationships we're talking about do not work. They crumble. They don't make sense apart from Him. The way you have loved one another doesn't make sense apart from the God who's loved you like that and has empowered you to love each other like that. There's one last mark. God gets glory in our life together when our relationships fuel God's work through us in the world. See, here's the amazing thing about Christianity. Lots of religions, ethnicities, peoples, groups, cliques, on whatever scale you want to talk about, have deep love for one another. Sacrificial love, even. That part's not unusual. But usually, the same things that fuel deep commitment to one another also make that commitment exclusive and hostile towards people who are different. Same cohesiveness that encourages sacrificial love also holds others at arm's length at best, if not fights wars against them. But in Jesus, it's just the opposite. In Jesus, what the New Testament says and what we're seeing in our community, the closer and more intimate we are with one another, the more effective and fruitful we are in our ministry to those who don't yet know Him, to those who are in need. Our relationships with one another fuel our work in the world that God has called us to. We know clearly from the Bible, we talked about this even in the Bible study long before we started Trinity, clearly over and over again, God has called us to the world. 
You will be my witnesses, he says in Acts chapter 1. Jesus said, in his last words, you'll go from here to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth and I'll always go with you. If God's presence isn't with us, that ministry falls apart. But what we've seen is that your intimate and all-in commitment to one another has not isolated you from the needs of people around you, but has empowered you to serve and to go. One image I saw for this recently is that it's, it's, like, it's like the way that hot coals work. You pile them together and they have a better chance of warming the whole house. You take those coals and you scatter them and the heat quickly dies. The intensity of our commitment to each other is what fuels our work with each other in the world. So, in ministry to those who aren't Christian, our work won't always look the same. But we'll always be in it together. We won't always look the same, but we'll always be in it together. So, Janine Davis, we prayed for her earlier, her work, her ministry has taken her to Southeast Asia. Others of you here sitting in this room right now are preparing for life in Central Asia or the Middle East. Many of you, several of you, full-time right now in our own city, serving the needs of those who God has put right here in our path through work with the poor, with refugees. Others of you see your training in medicine, your work in education, your life on your street with your neighbors or in your homes with your families. You see those as ministry opportunities where God has placed you specifically, not everybody else, but you. In one sense, our ministries won't always look the same. But we should always be doing them together. We should always be feeding off of what each other are doing, knowing about it, strategizing about it, praying over it, working it into the things we just talk about as a way of life. We want a culture where it's just normal for us to be doing ministry with people in need and fueling our work because we do it together. I remember one of the the most beautiful uh, examples of this at work, still one of my favorite Trinity stories so far, uh, was our, our, um, our outreach through Joel Pittman, who's here with us today, to Hunter Hardy, who's also here worshiping with us today. Okay, this is early on. This is maybe year one in the church. So Joel and Hunter were both working at... I'm going to embarrass you guys right here. Sorry, buddies. But it's going to happen. Joel and Hunter are both working at Publix. That happened to be where God had Joel at that time. He didn't have me there. He didn't have Casey Harvey there. He didn't have Brendan Reagan there. He had Joel there. Joel starts engaging his friend Hunter. Doesn't know Jesus. Interested in Christianity, but doesn't know him. That was Joel's calling in that moment. But Joel didn't do it alone. What Hunter didn't know then is that Joel was talking to his small group about it. He was talking to other friends about it. There's probably 20 different people who knew Joel's going after Hunter. We want Jesus for Hunter brainstorming how to have those conversations, praying over him, over times when he planned to talk to him. And then Joel invited him, and Hunter came. At that point, other people start to get involved in it. Now this, this person who we want Jesus for is in our lives too. Okay, so now we're going to hang out with Hunter. We're going to start talking to Hunter about Jesus. So people did Bible studies with Hunter. Hunter was hanging out with us. Uh, whatever else we were doing. Now we're all in together on this ministry that started out 
as born where Joel was working, where God had placed him. And by God's grace, through God's word, Hunter believed. We got to baptize her. And in his testimony, part of what drew Hunter in was the community that he saw among those who were committed to loving each other to the glory of God. It's what God said would happen. It's happened. Now we look ahead to five years later, and I'm starting to get the same question, a similar question what I got five years ago. Okay, this is a fair question. What's the next five years going to look like? What do you want for the next five years? Friends, this is what we want. We want more of this. This is what it looks like. Relationships that seek what God wants in us through His Word. Relationships that reflect the beauty of His love for us in Jesus. Relationships that fuel the ministry Jesus has given to all of us in this city and around the world. This is what God's building, but it's not finished yet. It'll never be finished until He comes again. We always need more of what we already have. So looking ahead to the next five years, we pray and we work and we celebrate the beauty and the joy of getting to do this work together because there's nobody I'd rather do it with. Would you? Father, you have been so kind to us, so much kinder than we had imagined, certainly kinder than we deserved. And we are grateful to you. And what we're asking you is that you would do more of what you've already done to build in us a way of life that glorifies your power that wouldn't make sense apart from your grace, from your presence in us. We want you to be glorified by our life together. And only you can do that. So we ask you to and to help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name.